All right, so today we're sitting down with one of our PAT practitioners and naturopath, Stephen Judge, um, to have a chat about a common condition that we often see in clinic known as salicylate intolerance. So, Stephen, do you mind starting off with what are salicylates? Yeah, no worries, Jess. So, so salicylates are basically, they're a family of plant chemicals. Uh, they're found naturally in many fruits and vegetables, nuts, herbs, spices, tea, coffee, wine, beer. They're basically, they're ubiquitous and widespread, especially among plant foods. Uh, they exist in so many plant-based foods because plants produce them as part of their own defense systems against environmental stress, insects, fungi. Uh, it's kind of their adaptive defense mechanism to ensure their survival mm -hmm. in the wild. Um, so salicylates are basically found in all fruits to varying degrees. Uh, for example, they're found in very small amounts in pawpaw, nashi pear, and red apples, but in very high amounts in fruits such as dried fruits, uh, avocado, cherries, pineapple, and many, many others. Um, the only fruits they're not found in are bananas, uh, ripened peeled pears, and limes. Um, they're, us they're usually concentrated just under the skin of fruits and vegetables, and they will, the amount of salicylate found in the fruit will decrease as they ripen. So the riper the fruit, the better, mm -hmm. basically. Um, and they're also found in pretty much all vegetables, again, to varying degrees. Uh, for example, in very small amounts in bean sprouts, cauliflower, green beans, but in very high amounts in capsicum, uh, all tomato products, zucchini, spinach, sweet potato, and again, many others. Uh, the only vegetables that they're not found in are white and green cabbage, celery, lettuce, and peeled white potatoes. They sound like they're in a lot of healthy foods. They are, yeah. and it's so, because they're so ubiquitous among plant foods, it poses a really obvious major issue because on paper, you might be one of those people that's eating all the mm -hmm. right foods, uh, healthy, nutrient-dense fruit and veggies, might be feeding these foods to your kids as well. Um, you know, other healthy foods with a high salicylate content includes coconut oil and olive mm. oil. So, you know, these are two of the most commonly used cooking oils to cook with, uh, which is fantastic, but not so much if you have a salicylate intolerance. Uh, most herbs and spices used in cooking, very high in salicylates, almonds, peanuts, macadamias, coconuts, uh, oats and barley. So you might be eating all this great mm -hmm. nutrient-dense plant-based foods, mm -hmm. but you're still not feeling great. You mm -hmm. still might have all these chronic gut symptoms, the cramping, the bloating, the alternating bowels, uh, constant sinus yeah. issues, congestion, um, you know, breaking out regularly in hives, eczema, headaches, brain fog. You know, it's super frustrating and I've been here when you're experiencing constant mm -hmm. symptoms even though you seem to be doing everything right. Mm -hmm. And that's a common scenario. Uh, a common scenario that's happening here mm -hmm. is an unidentified food intolerance, yeah. uh, which in our experience here at Health and Wellness Australia is very commonly mm -hmm. on some level a salicylate issue. Yeah. Yeah. So they're also found naturally in herbal remedies, herbal medicines. Um, these are prescribed regularly by naturopaths and herbalists like myself or you know, in over-the-counter products, um, very high salicylate content in uh, substances such as menthol, 
eucalyptus and wintergreen oils, which are commonly added to mm. toothpaste and mouthwashes. Mm -hmm. um, salicylates are also synthetically produced as well. Mm -hmm. um, so they're found in medications such as aspirin, uh, non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs like ibuprofen, which are in much higher amounts than uh, what they're found in foods. So these need to be very strictly avoided if you have salicylate intolerance. Uh, salicylates are also found in toiletries, perfume scents. So there's basically this entire arsenal of foods, drinks, cosmetics, medications, environmental substances that need to be taken into account. It's yeah. really a huge thing. Yeah. yeah. So what kind of symptoms does someone need to look out for to try and spot a salicylate intolerance? Yeah, so I've really briefly mentioned some before, uh, but if you are intolerant to salicylates, there are some key groups of symptoms that typically present in clients. Mm -hmm. uh, but you don't have to have all of them, although some people might, some people I've met here, but it could be one of or a combination of these. Mm -hmm. So the key symptoms you would be presenting with are respiratory symptoms, uh, so typically nasal congestion, runny nose, wheezing, sneezing, and also very common with salicylate intolerance is asthma. Mm -hmm. um, digestive issues, so typically alternating bowels, abdominal pain and cramping, bloating, reflux. Mm -hmm. um, headaches and migraines are very common with salicylate intolerance. Um, skin reactions are a huge one, so eczema flare-ups, hives, psoriasis, any kind of un unexplained dermatitis. And it can also really affect mood, which is interesting. Um, it will usually manifest in people as irritability or pretty bad brain fog, mm -hmm. mental fatigue. Um, and clinically, a really important one to point out is hyperactivity, uh, especially mm -hmm. in children. Um, in fact, research into the effects of salicylates on children was carried out in the 70s by a pediatric allergist, um, I believe his name was uh, Benjamin Feingold, and he observed a significant improvement in children by removing salicylates mm -hmm. as well as some other food additives and mm -hmm. chemicals. And clinically, I and other practitioners would agree quite strongly that mm -hmm. we do observe, we have observed <coughs> significant improvement when you remove salicylates mm -hmm. uh, from children's diets who have some sort of behavioural mm -hmm. issue and, you know, parents of these children would highly attest to this as well. So that's yeah. quite fascinating. Yeah, definitely. Um, so what exactly is salicylate intolerance? Like, what does it mean? Yeah, so I've used the term salicylate intolerance, intolerance a few times. So I guess the most important thing to understand is that a salicylate, salicylate intolerance is different to having a, a food allergy. Yeah. So... An allergy is an immune system reaction, more specifically an IgE reaction, uh, to the protein found within certain foods. So it's an IgE immune reaction to the protein portion of a food. So, for example, the gluten part of wheat mm -hmm. will drive a gluten allergy, mm -hmm. uh, or the casein part of milk products will drive a dairy allergy. Um, including here the proteins found in dust, pollens, mould, drive those environmental allergy symptoms. Having a food intolerance is technically different, even though uh, the two terms are kind of brought together a lot mm -hmm. of the time, mm -hmm. uh, but they're not the same thing. So with food intolerance, there's uh, it's not an IgE 
immune system reaction. It's mm -hmm. not really an immune reaction at all, but rather what's happening is the chemicals found naturally within the food, so for example, the salicylate chemicals, mm -hmm. they irritate the nerve endings in different parts of the body and particularly in the gut. So that's kind of the key difference. So a food mm -hmm. allergy is an immune response or an IgE reaction mm -hmm. to the protein part of a food. And a food intolerance is a more nerve irritation due to food chemicals. Mm -hmm. But these chemicals, they can also drive inflammatory chemicals uh, from the gut that are derived from the immune system, but it's not an immediate yeah. IgE reaction yeah. that is an allergy. Yeah. Yeah. And so with chronic and persistent symptoms, though, it can be a bit of a nightmare because some people, um, it's observed in the literature that individuals who are diagnosed with food allergies mm -hmm. are also very likely to have mm -hmm. specifically mm -hmm. a salicylate intolerance. Yeah. So the symptoms can be kind of overlapping, yeah, so it can be quite difficult to yeah. understand what's going mm -hmm. on. Do you find um, there's a certain level of tolerance in some people, like is yeah. there varying degrees? For sure, yeah. So... <clears throat> that's another, yeah, that's a really good point you made mm -hmm. because um, there, there's a salicylate tolerance threshold. Mm -hmm. Yeah, just like you said. So what I mean, what we mean by a salicylate tolerance threshold is that people vary in their degree of sensitivity mm -hmm. to salicylates and whether or not you get symptoms of a salicylate intolerance, it really depends on how much you ingest. Mm -hmm. So some people may have a really high threshold and they can get away with having some moderate to high salicylate foods occasionally and they're fine, mm -hmm. but they might react if they have, you know, a huge amount throughout the day. Mm -hmm. That's kind of having a, a high threshold. Whereas other people, and these are the people we typically see here at Health and Wellness Australia, have a really mm -hmm. extremely low threshold and they can be triggered with symptoms uh, severe symptoms from accidentally ingesting a food or a product mm, wow. with even just a small amount of mm -hmm. salicylates. Um, so this is another important difference to make between allergies and intolerance too. Uh, so those with the low threshold to salicylates, they can develop symptoms that last days or weeks mm -hmm. because the body accumulates mm -hmm. these salicylates in the body. And these people with a low threshold typically have a poor ability to metabolize and detoxify yeah. them efficiently. So this is a classic sign of intolerance, mm -hmm. again, with a chemical sensitivity where symptoms are typically delayed. Mm -hmm. Like you might have foods and symptoms will manifest in a few hours mm -hmm. um, and typically could last a few days or even weeks in very sensitive people. Mm -hmm. Whereas the allergy symptoms are usually experienced mm -hmm. immediately after mm -hmm. ingesting the food. Yeah. Yeah. So what actually causes salicylate intolerance? How can someone develop this kind of condition? Yeah, so I guess it's, although it's kind of poorly understood, there's not one definitive yeah. and only one cause. Mm -hmm. There's usually a multitude of potential driving factors going on. Mm -hmm. And so I guess it's important that we look at it holistically as well. Mm -hmm. It'd be great if it was just one thing mm -hmm. we could kind of nip in the bud, but there's a few potential underlying drivers yeah. that we attribute salicylate and other food intolerance to. Mm -hmm. Um, one of those we educate a lot of our clients about is something called increased intestinal permeability, mm -hmm. um, which is a medical term for the more popular one out there on the blogosphere, which is <laughs> called leaky gut. Good old leaky gut. Yeah. Um, so in, basically intestinal permeability, uh, it's thought to be related to many chronic health issues. Mm -hmm. um, there's great literature out there at the moment 
um, particularly by a snow called Professor uh, Fasciano, mm -hmm. who's kind of led the way in this kind of research. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so it's associated with autoimmune diseases, mm -hmm. asthma, arthritis, mm -hmm. um, basically any conditions where there seems to be inflammation yeah. going yeah. on. Uh, so food intolerances and allergies is another one here. So mm -hmm. I guess it's, you know, due to a lifetime of gut inflammation mm -hmm. and uh, what can happen is people experience gut dysbiosis, so an imbalance of good and bad uh, bacteria in yep. the gut. And over time, due to uh, inflammation of the gut wall, mm. uh, what happens is this gut wall can be broken down and become quite permeable. So yeah. uh, parts, food particles and chemicals that mm -hmm. shouldn't be getting into the bloodstream yeah. do. And this can basically initiate some of these inflammatory yeah. chemical responses. Mm. Um, so that's a major potential underlying driver mm -hmm. that we uh, educate our clients a lot here and also mm -hmm. suggest they may need to look uh, more deeper into some other treatment strategies yeah. naturopathically, such as treating the gut. Mm -hmm. um, so a few other ones that others might not know about, uh, there is a liver enzyme. Um, it's, it's a long word. Uh, <laughs> phenol sulfotransferase P. So it's basically a liver enzyme and um, they are there to break down sulfates and salicylates. Mm. Um, so there are some people who have salicylate intolerance and it's suggested that they are quite deficient or very poor at making mm -hmm. these enzymes. And so they're not, they're basically mm. not excreting salicylates out yep. of the body like they should be. Mm -hmm. Um, there's also a phase two liver detoxification pathway called glycination, mm. which needs an amino acid called glycine mm -hmm. to detoxify salicylates from the liver as yeah. well so we do see some people get some relief from symptoms mm -hmm. uh by taking glycine supplements mm -hmm. but yeah so there seems to be a lot of uh gut uh and liver mm. and digestive organ detoxification yeah. mechanisms potentially yeah. um mm. not functioning optimally mm -hmm. yeah yeah. Okay. Um, so when it comes to diagnosing a salicylate intolerance, um, a lot of people are typically recommended to go on an elimination diet. Mm. Is that sort of the best place to start or? Yeah. So it's kind of, yeah, it's a typical route most people take. Um, so unlike allergy testing, which you can uncover, use, you can uncover some allergies using bloods. Um, there's unfortunately no lab test to definitively diagnose mm -hmm. salicylate or other intolerances. Yeah. Um, so yeah, the gold standard for testing for salicylate intolerance is to undertake this elimination diet. So it's about three to four week period following a really strict diet, avoiding foods which can contain all of these most common food chemicals that drive these intolerance symptoms. Um, and over the three to four weeks, you note any of your symptoms mm -hmm. that may have improved or have not improved um, on a daily basis. And you record this in a diary over this three to four week period. Yeah. And then after that, the next phase from here is you start doing food challenges. So one at a time, you slowly bring in foods uh, from each food chemical group. So for example, if you were uh, trying to uncover a salicylate intolerance, mm. you'd slowly bring small amounts of one food in at a time, mm -hmm. something with a low amount of salicylates yeah. and then Just one with a moderate amount. Yeah, yeah basically. Mm -hmm. um, I guess the issue we see with them in clinical practice is that 
it's only meant to be a short-term mm. intervention so we can get into these reintroduction phases. But I guess the typical story um, from working with so many pay, uh, clients mm. here is they're stuck on the diet for way longer than this, months, yeah. even years, because, wow. because their intolerances haven't really corrected. Mm. Um, it's not a great long-term option no. for people. Um, and although some patients are told um, their intolerances won't, won't be permanent mm. and that over time their tolerance to salicylates and other chemicals will improve, mm. it's quite a rare scenario, yeah, to be honest. Yeah, it's not going to happen on its own, yeah. No. Mm. So, you know, the elimination diet is great at uncovering what mm -hmm. food chemicals you may be reacting to, yep. but it doesn't tell us why you're reacting to them, mm -hmm. because that's a good point to make. And simply avoiding these foods doesn't necessarily improve tolerance over time. It could with some people, but, I mean, the, the people we meet here are just mm. really stuck. They're yeah. going back and forth between it. It's very frustrating. Um, yeah. yeah. So technically it may be a good way to mm -hmm. help uncover. And and it's also very individual, mm. finding mm. those foods. You're mm -hmm. like, yep, yeah, I'm up to that. But it doesn't necessarily tell you why it's happening no. or how to overcome it. Mm. Yeah. Mm. So, and on top of that, you know, so many of the clients I meet here, um, having to embark on this kind of diet, it, it can increase a huge amount of stress and anxiety mm. around such a restricted way of eating. Yeah. Even though it's short term, I guess, you know, mm. living uh, modern life, yeah. fast paced city life, mm. imposing such a strict diet on someone yeah. can just increase so much stress and anxiety. Especially, Especially with kids as well. Oh yeah. my God. Yeah. yeah. Like parents who are, mm. you know, trying to cater for a family mm -hmm. and other, other children mm -hmm. and, you know, and, you know, ironically, the stress around it all can drive yeah. symptoms as well. Yeah. So it's it's a really tricky diet for a lot of people yeah. to follow. And mm -hmm. again, a lot of the people we meet here you know, um, tried it but kind of mm. couldn't couldn't last. Can't keep it up. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So, what are some other kind <clears> of management <throat> options? What could someone? What's an alternative for someone to do with salicylate intolerance? Yeah. So mm. I guess um, naturopathically, we. I mean, it's very individual, but mm. there's usually definitely some element of addressing gut dysbiosis and intestinal permeability and mm -hmm. healing the gut and mm -hmm. improving digestive function, making sure those detoxification organs are optimal, yep. they're clearing foods. And, Working well. Yeah, yeah, and healing the gut so that there's uh, no inflammation and we're not reacting to these mm. food chemicals in the long term. Um, and this is really important. Mm. Uh, it's a bit more of a long-term thing yep. that needs to happen in stages. So I guess the beauty of... Uh, particularly in the short term, but also mm. the long term of um, what we offer at Health Wellness Australia is mm. the positive association technique yeah. that we use here. Yeah. So, which is brilliant mm. at basically helping to improve uh, the tolerance of salicylates and mm -hmm. being able to reintroduce them into the diet. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I guess what we do here is we use a form of uh, muscle testing mm -hmm. based on kinesiology techniques. Yeah. And so we perform the muscle testing mm -hmm. as part of our initial consultation on all the major food chemicals. Yeah. Uh, so, so people wouldn't have to do <coughs> an elimination diet necessarily to find no. out if they're reacting to that <coughs> kind of thing. No, not yeah. at all. Oh, that's great. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So we <coughs> go through all the major food chemicals and foods. It's about 40, yeah. 40 to 50. And you also do some environmental chemicals mm -hmm. as well. But basically, once we uncover what you are reacting to, yeah. um, then we lay out a treatment plan for mm. you. So we treat one substance at a time. So just mm. say you're one of these people who is presenting with all these typical 
salicylate mm. intolerant symptoms will treat you for salicylates mm -hmm. in that initial treatment. Yeah. And the treatment is very effective mm. for a big majority mm -hmm. of patients. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, not everyone. Yeah. But for the people it does work for, yeah. um, it basically works by way of positive association. Mm. So we are using a chiropractic tool called an AccuStim. Mm -hmm. And this chiropractic tool basically stimulates nerve bundles on either side of the spine. Uh, and these nerve bundles are associated with uh, specific mm -hmm. acupressure and meridian points as well. Yeah. So we're getting you to hold all the different salicylate chemicals. Mm -hmm. The different types, yeah. yeah. Yeah, that we've tested you for. Mm -hmm. And then by stimulating these nerve bundles with the AccuStim, mm -hmm down either side of the spine. It's almost kind of like where it's a way of desensitizing. Yeah, yeah. Uh, retraining the, the body. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, these nerve bundles branch out to all the major organ mm -hmm. systems in the body. Yeah. And uh, yeah, it's a really fascinating mm -hmm. technique mm -hmm. and it's especially handy. Mm. While you're trying to do all this deeper work on people's gut, yep. stress and anxiety and whatever, mm -hmm. um, within 24 hours, mm. based on how the treatment works, you should be able to start eating yeah. some select foods yeah. and not be reacting yep. or reacting certainly a lot less. Yeah, well, just increasing that tolerance, I guess, so you're not yeah. on this restrictive diet yeah. long term. You can start to reintroduce some of these foods yeah, yeah. in a moderate way. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's really fantastic. Mm -hmm. I'm really impressed with it. Yeah. Um, yeah. seeing some great results mm -hmm. with uh, clients, mm -hmm. even particularly in babies and mm -hmm. kids, mm -hmm. are super, yeah. um, very really responsive. Well. Yeah. yeah, it's really, yeah. really awesome stuff. Yeah, and it's probably one of the most common things we treat at clinic as well. So For sure. is one of our most common treatments, yeah. Definitely. Yeah. It's, just, it's mm -hmm. like I said earlier, it's ubiquitous mm -hmm. and everything. Mm -hmm. um, it's impossible to avoid. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. it's good stuff. Mm -hmm. Well, I've got a question from one of our um, Facebook <clears throat> um, so it's Robin from Townsville and she's wondering, um, she's basically saying, I'm newly diagnosed <clears throat> and I've just finished an elimination diet and going back onto high salicylate foods to see if it was just a chemical salicylate. Yep. Do you have any suggestions for me? Yeah, so mm. Robin, um, I guess I'm not aware of your entire case history or any other chemicals going mm. on, but I guess my best advice would be um, I hope you've got a handbook or a chart with all the different salicylate foods mm -hmm. ranked from yep. their um, negligible to low to moderate mm -hmm. to their highest amount. Mm -hmm. You can request this through our website, by the way, as well. Yes. Yep. So mm -hmm. if you'd like to check that out, head to our website, mm -hmm. shoot us an email. Um, but I'll just suggest by starting with uh, the, the foods with the lowest amount of salicylate, mm -hmm. just bring one of those in at a time mm -hmm. um, and, just tr and just keep it in mm -hmm. there for a few days. And then after a few days, bring in another... Mm -hmm. low food mm. and then after there's another one and then slowly bring in the more low to moderate to moderate mm. moderate to high and the, then mm. i wouldn't go straight to the highest mm -hmm. might just cause a, unfortunately yeah. cause a flare up too soon yeah just go really low and slow mm. um if you do want to work with a naturopath herbalist nutritionist uh on some more deeper underlying yep. gut issues mm -hmm. and liver support yeah like those detoxification enzyme pathways mm -hmm. we mentioned that would also be uh yeah. very useful too yeah yeah just low and slow mm -hmm. low and slow mm -hmm. that's good yeah mm -hmm. 
Um, so we'll basically wrap it up there. Um, if oh. anyone does have any further questions that they'd like to send through to Stephen, we do have an Ask a Practitioner tab on our website, which is naturalallergytreatment.com.au. Um, you can also request a full list of um, salicylate foods, um, negligible, low, medium, high, um, and we can send that straight to your email as well. Um, otherwise, if you do want to inquire about um, see to see if Pat might be right for you and maybe able to help you with your symptoms, you can also call our head office, which is 1300 853 um, Or if you're in New Zealand, our number is 09479 but yeah, just get in touch to see if we can help you and we can go from there. But yeah, thanks for taking the time to chat about it, Stephen. Pleasure. Yeah. Thanks, <laughs> no worries.